When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, and over 150 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a full week from June 3rd to the 9th, with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit superai.com for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Look for the link in the description. Is it time for crypto to shine? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Noel Atchison, editor of the Crypto is Macro Now newsletter. Hi, Noel. How are you? I'm well, Maggie. So great to be with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. And we have a lot to discuss. There's a lot going on. Treasuries, oil, and crypto all on the move. The 10-year Treasury yield dipping once again on some more subdued jobs number. Of course, we have the big government report on Friday. Crude oil fell below $70 a barrel, hitting its lowest level since June. And Bitcoin is trading above 44000 on the same day that Jamie Dimon came out swinging, slammed crypto again in congressional testimony, saying he would shut it down if he were the government. Um, so <laughs> it's, sort of, it, it's sort of interesting. The Jamie Dimon headline struck me, Noel, because it's certainly not the first time he's criticized crypto. We kind of know how he feels, but it's interesting given all of the institutional interests that we see around this coming from banking, especially big banks like JP Morgan. Absolutely. Although to be honest, Maggie, I don't see a conflict in what um, Diamond is saying versus the bank. Because the bank is not really interested in Bitcoin. It's interested in tokenization. It's interested in stable coins. It's interested in the in enterprise value. Of blockchain, and even Diamond has said publicly often that he sees value there. But his um, his antipathy toward Bitcoin it's it's amusing, it's funny, it's not surprising given his institutional role. And when it comes to shutting it down, as if you were the government, I'd like to see him try. Yeah, well, I think that that's moved on, hasn't it? Um, which is why once SEC lost that case, why everyone's been sort of anticipating the launch of of the ETF. Just on the institutional interest, and you're right, and there is, you know, a separation between the sort of blockchain technology and tokenization and all of that versus any particular cryptocurrency, right? And they all have their different use cases. Um, I noticed you posted on LinkedIn today that SockGen launched its the first publicly traded bank stablecoin. What's is it significant? You know, what does that matter? What does that tell you? 
It's absolutely huge, Maggie. And we, we knew this was coming. I mean, they announced back in April they were working on this. But I confess I was surprised they actually, one, went ahead with it because how many bank announcements that were working on this to actually see the light of day? And two, that it happened so quickly because it's really complicated. What Sokgen has done is issued the first, not the first bank stable coin because JP Morgan has one as well, the JPM coin. They've issued the first publicly traded stablecoin. It runs on Ethereum. It's backed by the euros, and the euros are going to be held separately from assets at the bank. And there are some caveats. It's not quite as free as other stablecoins, such as Tether or USDC, for instance, because only if you are KYC'd by SOCGEN can you hold it. But you can buy it on Bitstamp. There's market makers in it. And it's people have asked, well, why do we need this? We have the other dollar-backed stable coins. Well, one, because Mika, the regulatory framework that kicks in next year, requires the main stable coins operating in Europe to be euro-backed. So this is mm. going to be a blow to the dollar hegemony, perhaps. But right, right now, there's really not much demand for euro-backed stablecoins. This looks like this might change that situation. And two, the utility of these euro-backed stablecoins in the settlement of the purchase of all sorts of tokenized securities, which we know the banks are all working on, not just the banks, but even governments are working on this. So one, it's going to boost the circulation of euro-backed stablecoins. And two, it is going to facilitate the trading in and settlement of the tokenization that we are seeing gathering for us. Wow. So, wow. I mean, it's, it's it, we always say we're at the infancy of this, but when you get steps like this, it just, you know, another move toward the future, which, which we're all trying to figure out. And luckily we have you to be paying attention for us because I think that probably went right past a lot of people that headline. So if we look at the price of Bitcoin, um, which is more, I think, what people are paying attention to, at least on this side. And right now, because of the moves. So Jamie Dimon, not a fan, but boy, this has been pretty impressive. Uh, I was just going through some of the numbers up 13% for Bitcoin in the last five days, 25% in the last month, and an incredible 165% year to date. Now, clearly, it's well off its highs. You know, we saw that really painful slide um, lower. So it's all relative to, you know, where, if you own it or if you were playing in it, where you got in and got out. But what do you make of this rally we've seen? It's what we've been waiting for. I know that sounds fairly corny to say, but we knew this was coming. I'm not saying that we are geniuses and we can predict the future, but Bitcoin has cycles. Bitcoin had a really bad year last year. And it was just a matter of time before the clouds cleared. We can agree that it sort of happened. And I would argue that the Binance settlement was perhaps the last shoe to drop. Okay, maybe there are some others still, but that was the big one. Now that that's out of the way and the, the um, settlement has been digested, there are no other massively potentially bad surprises out there. We can start to breathe a bit easier. We have these, there's all sorts of forces at work here. One, the clearing of the clouds, the last uh, issue to be resolved from last year, and the ability to move on into the next phase of the market. This is partly, the run-up is partly being driven by ETF speculation. It's looking likely that the spot, BT, spot Bitcoin ETF proposals will be approved in early January. The window that everyone is focusing on now is the 8th to the 10th of January, because that's right in between the end of the only the last remaining comment period and the deadline 
to make a decision on the ARC 21 shares proposal. So that's a very likely window. That's just in a few weeks, Maggie. Yeah. So, so part of the run-up is that. Part of the run-up is the macro environment. Part of the run-up is the digital gold narrative, which we can talk about. And also part of the run-up is the technological evolution, which has been humming along in the background. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Yeah, a lot of people were working on what they call the rails, right? And a lot of that sort of infrastructure. It does seem like you have this confluence of events lining up. Ash spoke to Nico Corderero and Chris Ryan um, in a recent Pro Crypto episode on Real Vision, and they talked about some of these fundamentals underpinning the move higher. Let's have a listen, and we'll talk on the other side. I'd say inflation, you know, I think we, if we learned anything over the last two years of this bear market, it's that, you know, when inflation was running hot, near double digits, right? Bitcoin was down 64%. So I wouldn't say inflation numbers really drive Bitcoin price, but I will I will say that I do believe uh, rates drive price quite a lot. And that goes back to what Chris was saying is that, you know, the lower rates go, the further money gets pushed out on the risk curve to make up for that lack of return, right? Particularly from a, uh, an institutional investor. If you're, you know, you're a big investor, you have a target rate per year called six to 8%. Right now, you can put a ton of money in money markets, U.S. treasuries, and you can make up a lot of that return or at least earn a lot of that return through fixed income. So what do you do? You, you pull all your money back from the highest end of the risk curve all the way back down. Um, so as rates continue to fall, I mean, that's probably our, our next, next big piece for this next big bull market. We talked about the ETF. We talked about the Bitcoin halving. Uh, if rates are now downward trending, you know, you can expect that large capital base to start moving further down the risk curve which only benefits crypto, given how illiquid it is relative to um, how large the financial system is. That full conversation on their outlooks for 2024 is on the platform. And a programming note, we are going to be doing an Academy Live event next Thursday and Friday, where we are going to take a look at how crypto fits into the macro landscape and you know how people are sort of approaching this as we head into 2024 and some of the tools um, and knowledge that you're going to need. Um, it should be really cool. So head over to the website to find out what's in store and how you can participate. We just found out we're going to do a really cool segment with Denise Schull there too, in terms of getting your mental self ready for what's in store for 2024, no matter whether you're in macro or crypto. So come on over for it. It's going to be fun. So Noel, the interest rate backdrop was an interesting point. I think that's what you were alluding to maybe when you were talking about the macro fundamentals. Um, do you see that as one of the factors leading Bitcoin higher? And if so, what is your outlook for rates from here? Yes, it definitely is. I mean, Nico's quite right. Macro has been one of the driving forces behind the Bitcoin price over the previous couple of years, I would say, ever since 2021. And that's largely because the large macro investors started noticing Bitcoin, started treating Bitcoin as a risk asset. Therefore, it started behaving like a risk asset. And that is still very much one of the strong narratives driving its movements. You've seen the market rates expectations. I think they're kind of crazy myself, but you know we'll take them. The expectations are now for two rate cuts by June from the figures I was checking this morning. 
And yet yeah, that liquidity is going to favor investment in longer duration, higher volatility assets such as Bitcoin. And arguably, Bitcoin is one of the most sensitive of all risk assets to liquidity pressures because it doesn't have earnings to worry about. It doesn't have any cash flows to discount. Hey, everybody. Sorry about that. Someone's joking in the chat that Jamie Diamond pulled the plug, but he didn't. Um, but we are clearly having a little bit of tef- tech difficulties, but we're going to push through. We were just talking about the fact that we're pricing and we've got this liquidity that should be supportive. Um, Lena asking a really interesting question. Will the Bitcoin rally lead the broader market higher? Is it possible that that sort of, you know, the gains we see there and maybe the return of animal spirits in, in that part of the investing world will spill over and be generally supportive? That is a really interesting question, Lena. Thanks for that. Um, My personal opinion is that no, I don't think that the broader market cares that much yet about Bitcoin. Sure, there are going to be plenty of stock investors who do also notice Bitcoin. Many of them already hold it. Some of them will start to come into the market, especially if we do get the spot ETF. Mm. Otherwise, I don't think the the macro markets notice Bitcoin that much yet. And when they do, it will be as an alternative asset. So it won't necessarily be as correlated as it has been in the past. Yeah. Although some of the, some of the fundamentals that, as you point out, are going to benefit risk assets potentially could benefit the NASDAQ, right? I mean, it's the same, it's some of the same dynamics, at least they were correlated before, maybe not this time. I think they will always still be correlated, especially if we see a strong stock market correction, which I personally expect. Uh, when things that are going down, generally correlations go to one. We could see some sentiment in the crypto market get hit by bad sentiment in the stock market. But I don't think it would last for long if it happens because there's so much else going on in crypto as well. The macro narrative is strong, but so is the ETF speculation and the ETF impact, even when they actually when they do eventually get approved. We also have the digital gold narrative, Maggie, which is increasingly interesting. We've seen gold climb to all-time highs this week, Mm -hmm. and there's a reason for that. It's not necessarily as an inflation edge because inflation is coming down. It's because things are weird out there. There are conflicts popping up, not just Ukraine, not just the Middle East, but I don't know if you saw earlier this week, Maggie, Taiwan has opened its first training center for combat injuries. That is kind of alarming. We're seeing strange things go on in Venezuela with the referendum to just simply annex part of the neighboring country. Is the U.S. going to get involved? Is it mm. going to impose sanctions when it wants to keep the oil price low? It's um, there's a, what's going on in Africa as well in the in the Sahel region is quite nerve wracking when it comes to the distribution of essential minerals and not to mention the terrorism control that uh, the U.S. has been trying to. To work on there. So there's there's stuff going on around the world that is enhancing the the thesis for for gold and by corollary also digital gold. So that's another narrative that's going on. And then we also just have plain old network growth mm-hmm. and growing use cases. So that increases, that enhances the implicit value, the fundamental value that Jamie Dimon insists Bitcoin doesn't have. Yeah. Um, and a great point, and it, it, which is all of the things you mentioned, let's throw in elections in a lot of elections. places, including exactly. the U.S. and all the risk around that. Um, you can understand why people are looking for some sort of diversification. Um, and by the way, this is why we have an entire geopolitics section 
um, on the platform right now and have conversations about this regularly because this this is having a big influence over macro and will continue to do so. So, you know, that's something we're on. If you, again, are not a full member on our website, come on over and check it out so you can get access to some of this stuff. Um, wanted to ask a question. By the way, it's not just Bitcoin rallying. Um, we were having a conversation editorially today talking about Solana, right? That everyone thought was left for dead after the FTX blow up has also been on the rise. So this is not just a Bitcoin story. This is sort of happening across cryptocurrencies, isn't it? That is very true. Bitcoin is leading this rally still, and we can see that in what is known as the Bitcoin dominance. And that is just simply the percentage of Bitcoin's market cap that is uh, the Bitcoin market cap divided by the total market cap. What percentage of the total is Bitcoin? And that's going up. It's almost at 55% now. Seriously, Bitcoin is almost 55% of the total crypto market, whereas just mm. a couple of weeks ago, it was 52%. So Bitcoin is leading this, but you're quite right. There are some astonishing gains in some of the other assets. I was looking at Dogecoin this morning. Dogecoin up something like 23% so far this week alone. That's amazing. I got to give a shout out to Elaine Lay. She, we, she used to joke about that all the time, not just joke about it. Um, uh, so I'm going to have to hit her with that piece of information because I was not aware that that was happening. Um, so I... Uh, we, we just had a question. Um, I'll find it somewhere, but oil. This was on the list I mentioned at the very top, continues to move lower. Uh, someone mentioned, I think it's wrecking everything today. Um, there's been a lot of pain in that trade. Um, Jason, crude oil futures breaking everything today. Um, what's happening there? What's your outlook for oil? And, and is the has the move surprised you? The move has surprised me. We're looking at the traders not taking into account at all any type of potential supply disruption, which feels a little bit naive. And let's hope that they're right. Let's hope that that doesn't happen. But we have tanker or container ships sailing through the Red Sea that are having missiles raining down on them. The conflict in the Middle East, it's being assumed that that's not going to escalate. And that's a fairly rash assumption, especially given some of the other hotspots that are emerging in the region. Venezuela, if indeed the United States does have to apply sanctions because it has decided to invade a neighboring country then what's that going to do with potential oil supply? So the, the oil market right now is saying there will not be any supply disruption. What is concerning, and this brings it back to crypto in a way, is the oil market is telling us that supply disruptions are not nearly as important as lower demand next year because of a global slowdown. And if indeed the traders are right, and that does overrule any type of necessity to price in risk for supply disruptions, then that means that the global economy is in trouble. And that is going to bring forward rate cuts, which is going to help the risk assets such as Bitcoin. So lower, lower energy prices also, let's remember, are going to be very good for inflation, which is also going to give central banks around the world a bit more margin to lower rates. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. 
I think one of the things that um, we have Matt asking, um, do you, what's Noel's time frame on the stock market and crypto pullback? If you are expecting one, I'm not. I'm not sure that you are, but I think one of the things that uh, really conf- not confuses, but people have been grappling with in on the macro side, but it affects crypto too, is if we get a recession and central banks are easing, there's more liquidity because of that, that's that's good, potentially positive for risk assets, maybe positive for crypto, maybe positive for stocks. However, if the recession is steep or it's painful, at some point people don't have money and that that can be negative. You know, what's the what what's too weak for it not to be a positive? I think that that's a that transition period, I think a lot of people are just kind of scratching your head and struggling with. Absolutely. And is the market pricing it in? It doesn't look like that at all. And it's not even just so much a case of people not having money, although you're totally right, Maggie, that is definitely a big concern. It's um, people not having money, not being able to spend on products or services and companies starting to default because one high interest rates, they need to roll over the debt, but they don't have the revenue to be able to service it. And that will lead to more unemployment, which will lead to lower consumption, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I personally do believe that we are in for a much sharper recession than the market is pricing in. And I do believe that that is going to start to impact the earnings forecast, which is going to impact the stock valuations. And I do believe that we are in for a a sharp correction, but not just yet. I think it's not going to happen until the spring, I'd say March, perhaps. And I think I say is investment advice. And crypto, by March, crypto will have had the ETF listings. Crypto will be in a slightly different framework. We'll be heading into the halving. So the down, the um, the the fall in sympathy from the crypto market will not be nearly as steep as it would have been without all these these other supportive factors. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. Yeah, and and uh, some of you have been pointing out. Some of you watched Peter Brandt's interview with Samuel, his three trades, and and some of his forecasts. And then we had Paul Hodges on earlier this week, who is very negative. He also, um, just from what he looks at at the chemical industry, which he feels like is a forward in, leading indicator, um, says he's never seen it this bad. Noel, and he's very very concerned about the global economy. Um, and just how weak it is, and and also thinks people are not really cognizant of it. They sound, they can sound like they're in completely different camps, but a lot of this is time frame. Um, we talk about this all the time. In a shorter, if you have a shorter time frame, and I'm not saying Peter's is. Listen to the interview, but in a shorter time frame, it sounds like many people are expecting because of these what, rates moving lower. And in crypto's case, the ETF coming, that there is a lot of positive momentum. It's not until you get further out into the year and then you see what the recession's like, where the views maybe diverge. And that's where you could hit an air pocket and and trouble, at least for stocks. Is that correct? Yes, totally. That's beautifully put. It's exactly. But there's a difference this time around. I mean, we saw this um, the last cycle, 21. We saw corrections in both because... Crypto was acting like a risk asset, as we mentioned before. And now it is, but is also going to be acting as a hedge, as digital gold. It's also going to be acting, acting as an alternative. There are other narratives out there now that are much more mainstream than they were last time we were in the upswing. We have Larry Fink talking about digital gold, but Bitcoin's world of digital gold. That didn't happen last time. Last time it was just about the speculation. So yeah, it's yeah. it's different. And we don't know really what the correlation is going to be, whether even indeed Bitcoin does correct along with the stock market. My opinion is that it will, but that it won't do so much because timing, 
the halving is a very positive force for the crypto cycles because it does reduce the amount of new Bitcoin coming in. It reduces the sell pressure from yeah, the this new is a, Bitcoin. This is a different asset class that we, we have to wrap our head around, right? And a lot of the, a lot of this is a first. So we, we're not going to know the effects. I heard someone say that in, in the run-up to the approval of the Bitcoin, there has to be natural buying going on um, for firms that are launching um, an ETF. Do you feel like some of that's driving what we see now? And do we really understand how much they have to be buying in order to not much. I don't think much of that is what's driving the price right now, largely because one, the timing that we're seeing some of the large orders come in, um, what triggered this week's move started in Asian trading hours. So oh. I don't really think that's the main thing. But also, they don't really have to do much before they launch. Obviously, when they launch, there'll be a lot flowing in, and that's when the buying really will start. Interesting point there, Maggie, and that's another big difference this time around. Many will be commenting, and you probably had questions about this, that the last every single time the crypto market has had a key product listing, the Bitcoin futures ETF, the Bitcoin derivatives, the Coinbase um, IPO, the um, that's been the top. That's marked the market top. And this time could be different. Geez, it could be different. I, I think it will be different because this time, yeah, it does actually involve Bitcoin buying. All of the other listings did not involve any Bitcoin buying at all. This is actually Bitcoin buying. And this is giving every single registered investment advisor around the United States, not just permission, but also the encouragement to talk to their clients about this now. Mm -hmm. And the other listings could bring that to the table. So it's going to be very, very different. The timing is going to be key, whether, this, whether the stock market correction happens in the spring or is it going to be delayed a bit more in the summer? You mentioned earlier, Maggie, that We've all been surprised by how long this recession is taking to come. I certainly was wrong in calling for it to start this year, um, and I could be wrong in calling for it to start towards the towards the summer of next year. It could take even longer. We overlooked how much businesses had refinanced their debt and were in relatively good shape, but that has a sell-by date. We overlooked how much savings people had left over from the pandemic so they could continue consumption. Well, obviously that's starting to run out now as well. And so it's just a question of how much longer can the car keep running on fumes before it eventually has to start sputtering to a stop. And it also very much, Maggie, depends on what's happening elsewhere in the world as well. The ECB is now in a similar situation, pricing in five rate cuts for 2024. When do they start coming? What does that do to the European economy? Because of the trade relationships, that's going to be very significant. And of course, everyone's watching what happens to China's growth. That's a huge motor for global finance and economics. So there's just a lot of variables in the pot, which makes this so interesting right now. Yeah, it does. And, you, and you've got to pay attention to all of them. In fact, we had a question about Europe. Um, from Ched, one question for Noel. Daily briefing guest yesterday said Europe is one to two quarters ahead of the U.S. Actually, uh, many of our guests uh, in the last week or so have been talking about that. And Raul says he's seeing negative forty percent PPI in Norway. What is Noel seeing in Europe? Hard to believe, but maybe the sticky inflation narrative may be nulled for the U.S. soon? Question mark. Could be. I think the main region to watch in Europe is Germany, obviously, partly because it's the largest economy in the EU and partly because it is really struggling, not just politically, but also economically. And the fact that it's had to freeze its government spending because of political um, political issues, I say all the judicial issues, really, but they've had to freeze government spending. That is a very, very big deal 
Europe um, does tend to see Germany as the engine of the entire continent. So what Germany does is going to eventually spill through to the others, even if Southern climes where I live, for instance, are doing slightly better. And we have to take into account, Maggie, also the war. The war is a very significant drag on the European economy. The war will end at some stage. And unfortunately, tragically, it looks like that moment is getting closer because the aid is drying up. Germany is freezing aid to Ukraine because it can't spend any more money. Uh, Poland is blockading the border. And it looks like the Republicans are also stalling any U.S. aid. So eventually, unfortunately, the war is probably going to end because of that. But when it does, then the rebuilding starts with, again, what kind of funds? We know that a lot of the U.S. investment banks have been visiting the region, looking for opportunities to help the country rebuild. That's going to change quite a lot because that's going to move commodity prices as well as perhaps inflation. But it is going to be a growth boost. Timing matters. Who knows when that happens? Right. And the nature of what the end of that war looks like and who's in charge is also... um... I mean, it is it is such a fraud. This is why many veteran traders have said this is such a difficult time because there are so many cross currents. Let's slide in one more question um, since we had to go down for a minute. Uh, Andrew asking, do you think 2024 is a time for DeFi to shine? With layer three, multiple network bridges, will this drive people towards Ethereum and exploring those chains? Uh, several parts to that question. Yes, moment for DeFi to shine, but not just because we will start to see lending, and especially as the risk appetite picks up, we're going to see some really crazy opportunities emerge that, let's face it, people are going to be attracted by that. What I'm fascinated by is the institutional adoption of DeFi. We've seen the institutional adoption of crypto. We talked about the stockchain stablecoin earlier in the show. But again, just think, a bank-backed stablecoin that can be used in DeFi applications that are helping banks improve their processes, that are helping institutional investors get different types of yield. That we're going to see some examples of in 2024 for sure. And in terms of Ethereum catching up with Bitcoin, I do believe Ethereum will catch up with Bitcoin. It's been lagging. It's up something like 91% year to date, which is pretty good, but it's a lot less than Bitcoin's performance. And part of the reason is the DeFi overhang. If people aren't engaging with DeFi apps, then they're not using Ethereum as much. There's that, but there's also the regulatory uncertainty still. That will be resolved eventually. It may take until the next administration in the United States to get that, to get there, but that will eventually be resolved. Um, and also there's the technological uncertainty. Uh, Ethereum has another big upgrade coming and that's always going to involve some sort of risk. There's some uncertainty around that. Wow, just so much happening. Noel, so happy that you can come on with us and sort of put this on our radar and help us make sure that we're paying attention um, to what is just going to be a huge industry. Um, and it's certainly going to be an interesting year as we see these two worlds really start to intersect. It's going to be wild. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Great questions today, everyone, too. I loved that we covered so much ground. It was so fun. Um, Noelle, always a pleasure. We'll see you again soon. Thanks, everybody. We will be back tomorrow, same time. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan and over 150 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a full week from June 3rd to the 9th, 
with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit superai.com for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Look for the link in the description.